A first responder statement leaves us questioning the Good Samaritan, which brought a fatally injured 10-year-old in for medical care. Welcome to Justice for Capano. I am your host, Sunday Times reporter, Alex Patrick. Capano's story haunts me. The failure of justice cannot go unchallenged. It is that failure that led me and the Sunday Times to create this short podcast series. You are listening to Justice for Copano, a short podcast series that dissects exactly what happened to Copano Molelekedi, a 10-year-old with endless potential who was struck down by a motorist, abducted in front of witnesses and left for dead. In today's episode, we consider the testimonies of medical authorities that saw to Capano's injuries and test their findings against what we know about her case. If you have not listened to the previous episodes, we strongly recommend that you do so. Please be advised that this podcast contains descriptions of the death of a child that some people might find offensive. Listener discretion is strongly advised. The South African justice system can be a wild ride. Cases fall through the cracks, they are closed, case files get lost, it's just how it is. Only a persistent and vigilant family can navigate the system if their files are missing. And even then, success is not guaranteed. In the last episode, we heard from witnesses to the crime. Uh, a girl was and uh, 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 Maroon Honda stopped about approximately about 35 to 40 meters also. And they ran back to come look at what happened. But as the, and then they picked up the child. They picked up this girl. But as they picked up, I had us laying backwards. So. Uh, I thought it was the wrong move for them to do, to pick her up. It was early seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So the, the child was trying to jump the street, coming off from the ticks, and then hit by a car. And then when I tried to get to that guy, was taking a child, said he's taking a child to hospital because the hospital is down there. And then turned right down there. After that, he didn't take the child to hospital they say they, they found the child to pinville park there have the police come to you at all not to me at all they came to me and what did you eventually tell them did you see as much as your dad saw no 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 i just told them what the my dad seen what's official seen and they what the description that she's given me what she had on so you didn't you actually didn't see this happen i didn't see this happen but they took your statements instead of your dad's. Yes. Now, we hear from the authorities. And as far as the authorities are concerned, Capano went from being a Jane Doe to a case number in a docket. Her body became a crime scene, and pathologists look only at her tissues and her organs to get an idea of what happened. The autopsy results, combined with a report from witnesses, tell the real story. Janine Vilema, who's head of the Department of Forensics at WITS and Chief Specialist at the Johannesburg South Forensic Pathology Services, 
explained that all hit-and-run victims need to have an autopsy to determine the cause of their death. She said the procedure was that the file would remain in the lab or at the mortuary until the investigating officer collected it. And then in terms of you were talking about the pathology report and how you've been looking for six months to get that report. Yes. I went there to go and check for the postmortem. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that the police must go and take the postmortem. So I went there to the pathologist where was Copan was laying there. They asked me, no, the police must come and face the postmortem. It's not you going to go there. And I'm, I went to that person, that detective who handled the case. I asked her, where is the postmortem? Do we have a postmortem? He says, no, the postmortem is not there. We went to the lab every Thursday. If I go, I went there, I'll tell you. I always ask him after every Thursday or Friday, I call him. Did you find the postmortem? No. Did you find the postmortem? No. Why the postmortem is taking so long? He says, no, I'm going to go. After I... I, t- I see that the detective don't take me serious. I went, I, s- I told him, you know what, today I'm going to went to your, the captain. I'm going to ask him, actually, how long did the postmortem take? He says, no, he started to take me serious now. He went the other week, go, and then he says, he found the postmortem. And then I went to go and take the postmortem. So... They told you they couldn't find it, but you knew that they just had it up. Despite being promised a copy of her autopsy, I'm yet to see what finally killed Capano. She would have had massive blunt force trauma injuries, causing internal bleeding, but it could have also been the injuries to her head which caused her brain to swell. The shock of the incident or being scooped up with her head injury could have also killed her. The postmortem says the child was having internal bleeding. Mm. It's explaining a lot of things. But what we do know is that she was alive until just after the clinic received her. Janine said in her written response that it was a Florida policeman who collected the autopsy results. The case had been transferred from the Orlando East Police Station to Florida. Cases are opened at the nearest police station, which will have jurisdiction over where an incident or a crime has happened. Because Capano died in Pennyville Park, they originally opened the case at the Orlando East Police Station. It was transferred to Florida because that is where the incident actually happened. If cases like this are not transferred to the right station, then the case can be thrown out of court. So although it's clumsy to move these cases around, it is necessary for the chain of evidence. The autopsy took place on September 7th, a day after Capano died. It's not certain if Capano died in the park or on arrival at the clinic. What we do know is, Orapaleng would identify her daughter a week later. Uh, what I see, I see from here down. I didn't see the head. It was covered by something. Yes. Yes. How did you know it was Copano? I saw the, the clothes and the body. What 
clothes was she wearing that day? She was wearing a blue jean and a gray skipper and a pinky jacket. In February 2020, Kwara Kekana, who's Gauteng Health Department spokesperson, responded in writing to our questions about Nudgesig Clinic, where Kopano had died. Understandably, many of the questions I asked were not answered, as they were for confidential information. Kwara said the family would be able to go to the clinic themselves and obtain that information. That information included the contact number for the man who had brought Kupano in. But as soon as I received the report and notified Orapaleng, she went to the clinic, but she was turned away and told to go to the police station. When she went to Orlando East Police Station, she believes she was told that the case had been closed. Perhaps she didn't understand that the case had been handed over to another police station, or perhaps the police didn't inform her. What Quara did give us was the report from a nurse who received Kupano that day. This is what the nurse wrote. On the 5th of September, a man came rushing into the clinic, carrying an unknown girl of plus minus 11 years of age, saying he picked her up from the park in Pennyville. He further stated that he was on his way to work, passing through the park as usual. He saw the child bending forwards, and he thought that she was playing in the park. While smoking and waiting for his friends, he said he called out to the child, but no one responded. He then came walking from his home and got a lift along the way. The car dropped him off at the robots next to the clinic. The child was then rushed into an emergency room in the company of security guards and other staff members who were there to try and assist. On examination, the child was not breathing. There were no movements, she was cold, and her fingers and toes were blue. There was no oxygen saturation recordable, no pulse. The pupils were fixed and dilated and not responding to light. Her neck was tilted to the left. Her clothes were clean, but only her panties were bloodstained. The telephone line 10111 was dialed. This is the police line as they could not get through to the Orlando police station. The ambulance arrived and the child was declared dead on arrival and the body was taken to Deep Loop Forensic Pathology Government Mortuary at around 11 o'clock. To me, the story has many holes. First, why would a grown man be calling out to a little girl who was playing? He could say that she looked a bit strange, but then why take her to his home and give her a blanket? Did he not notice the massive bruising on her head, which Kevin said was very evident on her body? The injuries, yeah, the injuries were terrible. So I'm asking this question because I also wanted to know, the man said he picked her up and he thought she was just sleeping. So I just want to know how he thought she was sleeping and if people are saying that she looked very bad why he no she was she was very bad for 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 even you can say the baby sleeping Mm. how can you sleep with those kind of bruises Mm. 
Because she had bruises where you can see them from a distance. Because she had light skin. Then he said he got a lift to the clinic. Did nobody notice or ask questions? Did they just give a man a lift with a dead girl or a dying girl and then they drove off? She was cold to the touch and unresponsive. I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Then there's the issue of blood on Capano's underwear. This is probably where the rumors came from that she was raped. But if Capano had internal bleeding from the force of the car on her abdomen, then it would make sense that there could be some bleeding. Nowhere on the police report does it mention rape. But it was this rumor that circulated around her death and at her school. Are we so used to little girls being raped that this is our assumption? In 2018, when I interviewed Kupano's grade 5 teacher, Lily Mohara, she said that the hardest part was that Kupano's class had heard all the rumors. That she was abducted and that she was raped. She said the children were all afraid. She told me, Nobody wants to be in a poor township environment, but they come and they teach her and they do it for the children because they deserve the best so that they can have a better life. Kapano's foundation phase teacher, Memory Modiko, said, We are worried about our little girls. What kind of a world are we living in? Her class was distraught when they heard what had happened. They are old enough to know what happened. They are old enough to know that what happened to her can happen to them. And they feel unsafe. When we gave the report from the nurse to Urapaleng, she was angry. She said she had heard a different story from residents in Pennyville Park. The very clear and concerning discrepancies upset Urapaleng. The testimony given by the man who brought Kapano in just doesn't make sense. And then this is a, a big question for me. If you could ask your community and ask the people around to do anything to help you here, what do you, what do you want them to know about what happened, what you guys still need help with, if they need to help you look for this person or talk to the police, what is it that you want people to know about your uh, case? I want people who can saw the car or the that person or who we have an information about that can you please take call me take the thing to the police let that that person pay for what he did to me what i want for, for my child is justice so that he can rest with peace this is what i want from her from from that guy i hope he hears us our officers are often undertrained and overwhelmed I've heard of detectives who have to work 80 cases a week. It's no wonder why cases fall through the cracks. And even when the cases come together, the family must navigate the courts. It's a process that takes years. Police statistics say that there were 1,574 contact crimes reported at the Florida police station in the 2018 to 2019 financial year of which Capano would only have been one of them. Capano's case also changed police stations once it was discovered that the crime had actually taken place in Jerusalem and not in Pennyville Park. 
So most of our information came from the provincial police spokesperson. But not before we were pushed from pillar to post, waiting a long time for responses. Okay, the Copano case. Yeah, you promised me Wednesday. No, like I told you, I have to send it to Captain Masondo because he's the one on standby. He has to say, I'm not supposed to talk to you. Captain Masondo is the one who's supposed to talk to you. I am sorry again for the delay. Can you please send me an email with all your questions so that I can respond via an email? Uh, There are things that I still need to verify, you know, uh, Alex. Can you give me until tomorrow, tomorrow during the day, please? Okay, and you can't talk to the family. Talk to the family for what? I know that you are angry with me. I'm, I'm just very disappointed. I'm disappointed. Very... I know, I know, I know. I, and still, I still don't have the good news. Oh, the problem is that I cannot help you now because I'm not at work. I, I don't know. You don't even have the case number. I, can't, I don't know who to call the investigating officer and all those things. The previous investigating officer is not working on that case. There, there's someone who's working on that case. Yes, that's why I'm saying that. No, he said no. He's, he's sent me all the information only to find that he forgot yes, to yeah. attach. Yes, he forgot to to, to attach all the information that was sent to me. I'll come back to you. Orapa Leng said she was told by Florida police that the case had been closed in 2019. When I first contacted the Florida police spokesperson, Captain Lydia More, in January of 2020, she referred me to the Gauteng Police Provincial Spokesperson, Captain Mavelo Masondo. She said Capano's parents could contact the station for information. Orapaling said that when she did call Captain More, she was told it wasn't More's case and that she would get back to Orapaling with the contact details for Copano's investigating officer. Orapaling has still not received these details. Captain Masondo asked that I give him a full week to respond to my questions about the case. I called him back on January the 5th of 2020 to ask where the responses were. He asked me to remind him what I was talking about. Two days later, he responded briefly that there were no suspects in the case. I reminded him that I was actually asking if the case still existed. It did. Finally, on February the 11th, 2020, I received a written response to my email. Here's a summary of that response. The docket went to the National Prosecuting Authority for a final decision on September 18th of 2019. It is a responsibility of a prosecutor to decide whether there is enough evidence to take a case to court, whether further investigation is required, or whether a case must be closed, which is what happens when there is very little information. Mosondo said the docket shows that three witnesses were interviewed about the crash that claimed Copano's life. He said the car registration number did not exist on the National Traffic Information System, which is the register of all vehicle, driving license, contravention and accident data. This means that either the number plates were fake or the witnesses did not remember it correctly. 
Masondo also said the suspect was unknown and could not be traced. This in spite of the fact that the clinic has his details and cousin Kevin alleges police took him to speak to the man who brought Kupano to the clinic. Musondo also said there was no identity kit for the man who drove into Kapano because the witnesses could not describe him. But they could point him out if they saw him again. But when we spoke to witnesses, they said they would be able to identify the driver and they gave us detailed descriptions of him. Musondo also said there was no telephone number in the docket for the woman who had been allegedly calling Oropaleng, even though Oropaleng said she gave the number to police. I asked why Neville Davis, who witnessed the crash, was not interviewed when police came to the home to speak with his daughter, Vanessa. Masondo's response was that there was no indication of any other witnesses in the investigating officer's diary. Both Vanessa and witness Sufiso say the investigating officer said he would return to take additional statements but he did not do so. Masondo said Benessa's claim is unfounded because Sufiso's statement is in the docket. Asked why Orapeleng was told to wait 48 hours to report a missing person's case, Masondo said there was no such waiting period and that no missing person's case was open for Copano at the Florida police station. He asked that Oropeleng come forward with more details about having been turned away and said that the allegations would be investigated. He further said that Oropeleng could not be traced and her number was not available. They were in contact with Kevin. Interestingly, Masondo said the case was still under investigation. In a follow-up email, I explained to Masondo that Orapaleng was sent away from the Nootgesicht clinic and told that the case had been closed at the police station. I asked if police had spoken to the man who took Kapano to the clinic and if they ever considered him a suspect. I also asked why police claimed that none of the witnesses could describe the man who drove into Kapano because we had found descriptions which were similar. He responded... Police are in the possession of the statement of the person who found the deceased. He did not say whether or not they considered him a suspect, even though the account taken by the clinic nurses alleges that the man took a dead or dying Capano from a children's park to his home while she was critically injured, and then to the clinic where they had found that she had died. Masondo said the witnesses police interviewed only provided a description of the car, and he appealed to anyone who saw the crash to come forward. Again, Masondo said the case was still active, saying, The case is still open and the investigation is ongoing. Orapaleng said the police came to see her the day before the national coronavirus lockdown began on March 26. She had not heard from them since. Orapaleng and her family have no closure and continue to wait. All she asked for is justice for her daughter. What I can say is, that guy is very heartless. You can't do that and just run away. How can you, how can you do that to the small child? What I want is justice for my child. This story is a passion project for us at Sunday Times. If you enjoyed the show or want to know what happened next, please subscribe to ensure that you don't miss the next episode. You can subscribe for free on all major podcast streaming platforms, including Spotify, 
Iono FM, Pocket Cast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We remain hopeful that this production will lead to justice for Kopano and her family. Please share this podcast to spread the word. In our next episode, Alex revisits the family to see how they're doing today and if any progress has been made in their case. Voiceover and reporting done by Alex Patrick. Additional voicing by Zama Lutsuli. Production and sound design by Paige Muller. Editorial assistance by News and Investigations Editor Nikki Gulesh. Executive production by Head of Multimedia Scott Peter Smith. Justice for Kopano is a production of Sunday Times and Multimedia Live. Subscribe for free to catch future episodes. 